Rivers Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. In the book of Philippians, and some of you may be asking the question, why are we always going verse by verse through the Bible? And what is that even called? It's called expository preaching and teaching. And the reason why we go verse by verse through the Bible is because we want to make sure the Bible is speaking for us. We're not speaking for the Bible. We don't want our opinion to be interjected into what God's truth really states. In fact, it's a way for us to safeguard ourselves from putting our own thoughts and opinions into God's word. That's the reason why we're going through Philippians in the title. The overarching theme is joyfully growing in Jesus. Joyfully growing in Jesus. At this time, let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be here this morning to get into your word, to be encouraged by one another with our fellowship, to sing songs glorifying and praising your name. Lord, I just ask that we can encourage one another in your good news, your gospel message. I pray that you can use us as a church to share your good news with others. We pray all of this in Jesus' name who makes this possible. Amen. This photo that you're about ready to look at is from 1944. Now, if we weren't in Florida and we were still up north, it may actually look like this. Thank goodness we're in Florida. But thank goodness I wasn't here. And I don't think anybody in this room was actually old enough to have been part of what these fine American soldiers were part of. I remember as a young boy, my grandfather would actually talk about this particular battle. Some of you may know what battle this is, some of you may not. This is the Battle of the Bulge. The Battle of the Bulge. See, the Battle of the Bulge took place from December 16, 1944 until January 25, 1945. It was the largest battle for in World War II, and it was considered to be the decisive battle of the war on the European front. See, 80,000 American troops died in this battle. 100,000 Germans died in this battle. The front line itself was over 80 miles long. Think about that. 80 miles of front line. See, years ago there was a television program, and it was some years ago because they were interviewing men who actually fought in the Battle of the Bulge. And when these veterans were interviewed, each of them had a different experience along that 80-mile line. Imagine that. If you're all the way to the north of the 80 miles and all the way to the south of the 80 miles or anywhere in between, your particular experience within this 80-mile line of this battle would be different now, wouldn't it? See, what the Germans were trying to do was this. They knew the Americans were there and they were trying to pinch right through the middle and cut off 
the Americans. That's why they call it the Battle of the Bulge. See, what ended up happening was they never quite penetrated. In fact, the front line retreated and it created a bulge-type shape where the line was like this and then in the center it bulged back. They were unsuccessful. But could you imagine if you were to the south of the bulge or to the north of the bulge or right in the middle of the bulge? See, when they interviewed these soldiers, each one had a different account. One soldier said, hey, we sat in our foxholes and played cards all day. Another soldier said, every once in a while, a German tank would cruise by and we would take pot shots at it. And another soldier was noted as saying that he was involved in constant shelling and firefights. They all fought in the same battle, but all had a different experience. Does that mean that anyone's experience was less than the others? Does that mean just because a soldier was to the north of the bulge or to the south of the bulge or the one that was in the bulge itself, does that mean that the one that was in the most firefights, that he was the most important and the one that was most used to ultimately defeat the Germans? Or does the collective experience of all these soldiers play into the decisive victory? Church, do you know why the soldiers hadn't realized what they had just participated in? Because what happened was this. See, the one in the middle would say, I was fighting, I was being shelled. While another soldier might say, I was playing cards in my foxhole. And another might say, yeah, I took a few pot shots. But you know what they didn't recognize? They didn't recognize that they were all being used to win a battle on a large scale. They didn't see the big picture. They didn't know what was happening down that 80-mile-long front-line church. This is us. And our front line is way longer than 80 miles. Sometimes we forget what God is doing on a larger scale, don't we? I'm a victim. Actually, did I say I'm a victim? Sounds like I'm speaking to my wife and I'm in a fight. No, I'm a willing participant. I'm a participant myself. I forget. We neglect to see how God is using us in this life's battle to build His kingdom. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. The title for our sermon this morning is this, The Saved Life. The Saved Life. We, like we said earlier, are going to be in the book of Philippians chapter 2, specifically focusing on verses 12 through 18. See, last week we were encouraged to serve each other now, weren't we? We were encouraged by Jesus and His example of true humility, which He displayed as a sacrificial servant. Today we're going to be encouraged to live the saved life. Which is important to do as we live in this, let's face it, corrupt world, right? See, God is using us as lights to illuminate what He is doing on a large scale all across and upon 
the face of this earth. And sometimes we forget what he's doing through us, don't we? Within our day-to-day lives, it becomes very easy to forget. So with that being said, let's be encouraged by Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my present absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be poured or be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Amen. Quite simply, if we break these verses down this morning, we will put them into this one simple sentence. And that sentence is this. Our daily lives should brightly reflect Jesus as the sole entrance into God's kingdom. Our daily lives should brightly reflect Jesus as the sole entrance into God's kingdom. Dr. John Rilling says that life is lived in the medium. He explains that it always requires effort to reach your goals. In fact, he goes back to a slogan from his eighth grade graduating class. And the slogan was this, rowing, not drifting. See, when we do nothing, it's like drifting in a rowboat. We wander through life aimlessly. We continually fall back and away from completion. Church, rowing is like life. Let's face it. It takes effort to reach and achieve completion in all that we do. It'd be easier to sit back and relax and just drift about in the rowboat. But no, if we want to go somewhere... We have to put effort forth. We have to row. And we see precisely this in verses 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Therefore, my beloved, Paul starts, he says, as you have always obeyed. Do you know what this reminds me of? For real. Especially that part where he says, as you have always obeyed. Do you know what that reminds me of? My mother, every time she speaks to me, she says the same words. It's amazing. Okay, maybe not. But seriously. 
Paul is encouraging the Philippians. See, he's encouraging the Philippians by reminding them of their past behavior. Have you ever had someone do that to you? Have you ever had somebody do that to you? If, if not, or if you don't know exactly what it is that I'm talking about, let me, let me explain. Let's say Joe is dealing with a particular issue, okay? No, not Joe here. I'm talking about Joe Blow from Kokomo. Susan Leonard knows exactly who I'm talking about. Just don't use his last name. For those of you that don't know, just Susan's from Kokomo. Let's say Joe, hypothetically speaking, is dealing with a particular issue. And you proceed to inquire about said issue with this Joe character. And Joe Blow from Kokomo responds by saying, Oh, everything is much better. Thank you for praying for me. See, either one of three things actually happened. Either A, you didn't pray but were nice enough to ask about the issue. Or B, you kind of prayed but still asked about the issue. Or C, you actually were on your knees day and night interceding, a.k.a. praying for Joe. But do you know that it really doesn't matter if you're A, B, or C? Truly, it, it really doesn't. And do you know why? See, Joe Blow from Kokomo's response encouraged you to pray. And see, the next time you have that opportunity, you'll be mindful of prayer. Whether you fall into the A, the B, or the C categories, church. Do you know what we call this? We call this rowing, not drifting. While you're growing, you're going somewhere. Each of your previous experiences aids in your future growth as you move towards that growth in Jesus. And this is precisely what Paul is doing with the Philippians. So basically what he's saying is, whether in my presence or in my absence, grow in your salvation. Look where it says right here, it says, work out your own salvation. Does this mean that we have to earn our salvation? Is that what this means? We earn our salvation? Does this mean that we have to earn God's favor in our lives by the things that we do? No. In fact, that's anti-gospel, isn't it? That's the opposite of the good news. If not, then what is Paul meaning here? See, what he means is that we should be rowing, not drifting. You should be heading somewhere. Where should you be heading then? Well, towards your salvation. So how do we row towards salvation instead of drift through life? That's the question I would be asking myself at this point. How? Well, quite simply, by having a healthy fear of God. This isn't a, oh, I'm so scared of God type mentality, but rather a heart that's concerned with offending Him. So we must ask the question, what are some examples of what actually offends God? If we're to be growing, if we're to have a mindset and a heart that's concerned with offending Him, what is it that actually offends Him? Well, there's quite a few things, but we could nail them down to maybe ten significant things that actually offend God that we should be conscious of. Lust, 
offends God. You can throw homosexuality in there with lust. Hate and murder offends God. Pride offends God. Being selfish, that offends God. Revenge offends God. A heart that refuses to forgive others offends God. Foul language offends God. And of course, something we all must be so careful with, idol worship offends God. And do you know which of these sins will disqualify you from your salvation? Do you know which one of these sins is going to disqualify you from being saved? Not one. Well, that is, unless you're drifting. See, if you're rowing, then you're actively repenting, which means you're turning from your sin and turning back towards God. You're actively doing this on a daily basis, which is to be constantly, consistently turning from your sin and going directly back to God. And if we're rowing, we're being obedient from verse 12. And if we're rowing, it's about where we are going, not about where we have been. And if we're rowing, then we're allowing verse 13 to be the rudder in our lives. Look at verse 13. That is our rudder. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work His good pleasure. Church, ask yourself this question. Allow me to ask this for you. Are your desires your desires? Or are your desires God's desires? See, God who works in in you is really the Holy Spirit's desires for what the Lord wants to do through you to eliminate the work of Jesus. Think about that 80-mile long line. We're all on it somewhere, and the Lord wants to use this. And this brings us to our first point this morning, and that point is this. The saved life is a journey that's focused on the final destination. The saved life is a journey that's focused on the final destination. It's not about where you've been. It's about where you are going. Never listen to the lies of our adversary who's going to trick you into thinking that your sin is too big for the cross. It's not. And our main point this morning is this. Our daily lives should brightly reflect Jesus as the sole entrance into God's kingdom. This is General Charles George Gordon of the British Army. Handsome chap, I would say. Probably the only person better dressed than him on a daily basis would be Eddie. I even think you have a healthier mustache, Eddie. He was also known as Chinese Gordon. He was most active in the 1860s. General Gordon was also known to be a Christian. And at one point when he was in need of a servant, he decided decided to hire a Muslim for a servant. See, the only issue was the Muslim refused to work for General Gordon. Why? Why would he refuse? See, 
The Muslim was afraid that General Gordon would convert him to Christianity. And the tale goes on to say that General Gordon went as far to tell the Muslim, I will never mention my faith to you. The Muslim still refused. Can you guess why? See, it's the old biblical principle. Bad character corrupts good company, but with a twist. See, the Muslim knew that the General Gordon's good character would influence and corrupt his bad company. The Muslim then replied by saying this, and this is an actual quote from the Muslim. He said, by my daily association with you, I would become a Christian without a word from you. Your conduct speaks plainer than your words, and I wish to avoid it. I will not be a Christian. Church, how is your character? Are you displaying good character to others? Are you displaying good character in your daily life in such a way that others will be attracted to God's kingdom? Is that even on your mind? Is that even on your heart? Am I displaying the kind of character that's helping the Lord build His kingdom? Am I allowing His Spirit to work through me? And we can see this exact encouragement in verses 14 through 18. And when we take these verses in, in its basic form, verse 14 is telling us not to complain and or be rebellious. That's very simple. And after all, how can we brightly reflect Christ if we do? How can a rebel reflect Christ if they're rebelling or complaining? Now, our illustration of General Gordon actually comes from verse 15. And as Christians, we should stand in stark contrast to the world. See, the potential Muslim servant knew this. He knew that there was something different about Christianity. Again, what does the Apostle Paul say about this generation? Not just the generation of the Philippians, but the generation that we are currently in today. What does he say? He says that it's crooked and twisted. Do you know how we get this world's attention then? Because ultimately, that's what we should be doing. We should be getting the attention of the world. We do this by making them curious. Curious as to why. Curious as to who we are obedient to. So does this mean that you'll never respond in lusts? Never have a homosexual tendency? It means that you'll never hate somebody, never murder, be proud, never act selfishly, want to and or take advantage or revenge on somebody, be hesitant in your life to forgive? Does this mean that you'll never mentally cuss or let a few fly? Does this mean that you'll never be controlled by idols? Does this mean that you're an utter failure at reflecting Christ in your daily life because you've participated in these said sins listed? No. Chances are we'll either struggle with a few of these or we'll struggle with the whole list. The bottom line is this, it's not as much about what you do as it is about what you don't do. So here's a good question for all of us. When convicted of sin, 
do I actively repent? Did you even know that by admitting sin and repenting is to proclaim Christ to others? In fact, our repentance, our admitting our sinful behavior and turning from that sin and back towards God may be our best opportunity to reflect Christ in our daily lives. Repenting of sin isn't something we just do in the beginning when we first become saved. See, it's something we do in the beginning, something we do now in the middle, and it's something that we do till the end, which is precisely why Paul tells us to do what here? He says, shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast, holding fast to the word of life. Why? Because we all need to keep believing. We all need to keep believing amongst this crooked and twisted generation. And as Mike comes up, I want to remind us of how earlier we, we mentioned that we are focused on our final destination. Do you know why? Do you know why we're so focused on our salvation, our final destination? Quite simply, it's because Paul is too. Which is why he mentions in verse 16, he says, the day of Christ. Paul writes, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. See, a drink offering was poured over the main sacrifice at the altar. Do you recognize what he's saying? What he's saying is, even if God uses me to serve in this capacity, I'm going to keep on keeping on. Basically what he's saying, it's a privilege to sacrificially serve Jesus just as he sacrificially served us. So the question for you today is, are you ready? Are you ready to keep on keeping on? Are you ready to keep on from the beginning, to keep on in the middle all the way to the end? And this brings us to our second and final point this morning, and that is the saved life is a consistent reflection of a need for Jesus. I haven't been at this forever, but I've been at this long enough. And I'm not just talking about the pastoral thing. I'm talking about living my life as a saved man, a child of God, to know that I'm learning so much each and every day how much I need Jesus. The saved life is a consistent reflection of a need for Jesus. And again, our first point from earlier this morning was this. The saved life is a journey that's focused on its final destination. It's not about where you've been. And it may not even be about where you're at right now. It's where you're going. That's the potential of the gospel. That's tremendous potential. And our main point this morning was this. Our daily lives should brightly reflect Jesus as the sole entrance 
into God's kingdom. That is biblical. For I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes through the Father except through me. And you know what this twisted, corrupted generation is going to tell you? They're going to take a verse like that out of John and say, well, Jesus may be the only way to the Father, but there's many ways to Jesus. That's a lie. In fact, that's a lie I heard on Oprah from a well-known preacher. Well-known, internationally known. That is a lie because we all come to Jesus the same way, one way by admitting our sinful behavior and acknowledging and accepting what he did for us on the cross. And when we do that, that is the beginning of working out your salvation. And we do that then, in the beginning. We do that in the middle, and we do that at the end. And just like our soldiers from the opening illustration this morning, the ones from the Battle of the Bulge, Let's not get too narrowly focused. And I know it's hard. And it's easy. It's easy to get narrowly focused, and it's hard to see the big picture. But we can't get too narrowly focused because God is doing something through small, little us for his purpose on a large, massive scale. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Use us. Even when we don't think we're being used or worthy of being used, use us, Lord. If we need to be prepared further for us to be used, allow us to have a heart that's willing to allow your spirit to work through us to prepare us even to be used. Use us as a church collectively. Help us encourage one another. Thank you for your work upon the cross. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us the honor to be children of God. We pray all of this in Jesus' name who makes all of it possible. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.